Welcome to the Sunshine Gardening Podcast. This gardening show will equip and inspire avid gardeners with tips and tricks to help them navigate the gardening world. The show will also highlight specific growing requirements for seasonal plants, so the sun will shine brighter over their Kentucky garden. And now, here's that ray of sunshine, garden enthusiast and horticulture extension agent, Kristen Hildebrand, with the University of Kentucky Cooperative Extension Service. Fall is a suitable time of year to think about installing and planting trees for the Kentucky landscape. Trees can offer a lot of benefits to the homeowner. They offer social benefits. It has been shown that spending time among trees and green spaces reduces the amount of stress that we carry around with us in our daily lives. Trees provide economic benefits as well. The value of a beautifully landscaped home with mature, healthy trees can be as much as 10% higher than a similar home with little to no landscaping. With careful selection and planning, trees can be a true asset to our entire community. Hi, I'm Kristen Hildebrand, Warren County's Extension Agent for Horticulture, and in today's episode, episode number 22, trees are the topic of today's discussion on the Sunshine Gardening Podcast. To talk more on trees, I sit down to chat with City Arborist Jared Weaver to learn more about proper tree selection and tree planting procedures for the Kentucky landscape. So to get the full scoop on tree selection and planting, make sure to stay right here for more on the Sunshine Gardening Podcast. Now joining us on the podcast is Jared Weaver, and he serves as the Bowling Green City Arborist here in Bowling Green. Jared, thanks for joining us on the podcast. Sure. Thanks for having me today. Yes, yes. I don't really want to waste any time at all because I know there's a lot of things to consider when we think about planting a tree, and there's even a lot of really things to think about before even selecting a tree. And so I really want to just dive right into what we're talking about today. First off, there's a lot of trees that are available on the market, maybe a lot more so on the native plant side. There's also other plants to consider But what things should we consider as a homeowner when we're selecting a tree for, say, our home landscape? Okay, that's a great question. There's all kinds of things to consider. Probably the most important is what you want that plant to do for you in your landscape. So do you want it to be an ornamental tree? Do you want it to shade your home and help control your cooling costs in the summer? Do you want to plant a windbreak that will, you know, help cut down the wind in the winter? And you want a privacy screen? So the function in your landscape is one of the most important things when selecting a tree. Now, I know there's a lot of plant people like me out there who see a a great plant at a nursery and they bring it home and they don't know where to put it. So really, we should be thinking about what that plant's function is going to be in our landscape before we ever purchase the plant. So we want to have an idea of where we're planting it and what function it's going to serve for us in the landscape. Exactly. And I know that when you first think about trees, you may think, okay, I want it just for the beautification. But like you said, there's a lot of other purposes that it could serve in a landscape, the windscreen and also privacy and things like that. So it may be good just to rank those out (laughs) according to first, second and third priorities. Sure, sure. 
it's also a good idea to get out in your landscape and walk around at different times of the day, you know, the morning, the afternoon, and different seasons as well to see where the sun's at and consider what that tree might put shade on. You don't want to plant a big shade tree right next to your vegetable garden, for example. So it's a good idea to get out in the landscape and experience some of your landscape before you make changes into it. Exactly. That's a good thought to think about just walking around your home, especially looking for those shade places that it may be shading. Now, whenever we start to look at that possible location for planting a future tree, what things should we consider for the space? I know that there's a lot of different light requirements and also space depending on what tree that you plant. Absolutely. One of the mantras that we like to say is put the right tree in the right place. And that goes for all plants, of course. But for trees, it's particularly important because they can be very large and very long lived. So when you're out there taking a walk around your landscape and looking, you want to make sure you're not going to obstruct any utility lines. You don't want to plant a large shade tree near any power lines that could cause problems for them. You also want to call 811 and have all the utilities marked because there are things underground. You can't assume your ground is clear to plant. You've got to call 811 and have the utilities marked, which is the law also. It's a free service. They'll make sure that you're not planting or digging a hole into uh, you know, an underground power line or a sewer line or something like that. So that's a very important consideration. When you look at your plant tags, it should tell you what the mature size of your tree is. A lot of times we buy a plant at the nursery and it's small enough that we can stand next to it and touch the top of it. But if you're planting a large maple or an oak tree that could get 80 or 100 feet tall, you want to make sure you fully understand how big that can grow in your landscape over time. Exactly. I know that a lot of times, like you said, we see it in the real juvenile form, but you've got to think about the longevity of the plant and how tall it's going to get. I know that there's different ranges of trees that are available as far as like how tall that they get. Like if say if somebody wanted to have like a smaller type tree, is there certain recommendations that you have for a smaller tree and where it should be planted? Uh, yeah, there's if you go and look at the National Arbor Day Foundation's website, for example, they've got uh, some really great diagrams that show how close you should be planting a smaller or a larger tree to your home or to a power line, the utility line. That'll give you some good ideas about what that spacing needs to be, how far away it should be from other things in your landscape. And of course, if you're planting anywhere near a driveway or a street, you got to consider sight lines as well. You wouldn't want to plant something that's too small and bushy near a street corner and that would obstruct people's vision as they're driving or walking. Also consider that from inside of your home, you may or may not want to block your view from your front windows to your neighbor's property, for example, or, or the street. So consider how it's going to affect your views from inside as well as outside the home. Exactly. Those are all good things to think about. Now, as far as light goes, what kind of light requirements are needed for a tree? I know it would probably be a little bit different versus an evergreen tree versus something that's got a fruiting characteristic or blooms. But what type of recommendations are there for light requirements? Uh, great question. This depends a lot on the species of tree. Some trees will do, they'll flower beautifully in the full sun, such as the, our native dogwood tree. But if it's going to be in the full sun, it'll be a little bit more, more stressed out. It'll be susceptible to more diseases. And just you'll have to pay more attention to it, care for it a bit more. But it will flower really nicely in the full sun because the dogwood is adapted to be a native understory tree. It likes to be in the shade. 
it really depends on the species of tree that you're planting as to how much light it's going to require. But generally, most trees are going to need a few hours of sunlight at a minimum per day. And larger trees like maples and oaks, the ones that are typically overstory trees, they're going to need a bit more sun. Evergreens generally like to have at least six to eight hours of sun a day. And consider if you're planting it close to something else, another tree, that could shade one side of it and reduce the growth on that side as well. So consider how much sunlight your area is getting, as well as other things that might block sunlight from that tree that you're planting. Yes, I totally agree. And I know we talked about space already, Jared, and we talked there about light requirements for the tree. What do you recommend as far as the soil requirements for most of these trees? I know not all trees are created the same. Sure, sure. Most trees are probably going to do okay in most soils around here. There's a few exceptions. But it's never a bad idea to have a soil test done at the extension office. It's a pretty inexpensive way to find out what you've got to know what's going to do well in your site. But some trees, such as pin oaks, have a hard time growing in certain soils. So especially if you've got a very particular type of tree that you want to grow, if it's something special, you might want to get a soil test done for your yard. And the extension office can tell you if that's going to be a compatible soil for that species of tree. And unfortunately, if you've got a yard full of one type of soil, you're not going to really be able to change that on a large enough scale to benefit that tree. So it's best to know what kind of soil you've got and choose a tree that will fit that site rather than trying to change the site to fit your tree. You know, it's not like a vegetable garden. If you're growing a vegetable garden with annual plants, the roots are going to be in a relatively small space within one summer, one growing season. But a tree has to grow for hopefully 50, 70 years, and those roots are going to spread way out 100 feet or so. You want to pick something that's already adapted to that soil, or you could have nutrient deficiency problems if that particular species of tree is a little picky about what they're growing in. And just to put a plug in again, I know, Jared, you mentioned about our extension service offering soil tests. I know that ours are fairly inexpensive. And again, when you start thinking about the longevity of the plant and how it's going to hold up through the years, there's different seasons that it goes through. If you do have that soil test taken, you can apply what nutrients are recommended there according to your soil test. And fall is a really good time to perform that soil test. So if you can do that ahead of time before you get ready to plant, you'll really tell a difference later on. So if you have any questions, reach out to your local extension office and we can kind of walk you through all the things that are needed. And if you've never done one before, we can also tell you a little bit more about it too. Jared, one of the things that you mentioned just a little bit ago was about that 811 before you dig. How far in advance should we call 811 before we actually plant a tree? Is there a, is there a certain time that we need to do that in? Yeah, good question. They say two days at a minimum. So when they come out and mark their utilities, those markings are good for one month but they need a couple of days to get their locator service out there. They've got a couple of different people they work with, the electric company, the gas company, anything that could possibly be underground. They've got to notify all those people and they've got a time to fit you in their schedule. So a minimum of two days before you plant, then you've got to call 811 and they'll come out and get that located for you. Yes, yes. I'm so glad that we have that service available so we don't end up cutting service off to whatever those buried lines might happen to be. So we're going to drop that in the show notes later about how you can do that. We talked about the requirements needed for trees as far as light and space go. Say we're looking at a certain tree. 
there are some different forms that are available at the nursery or local garden center, depending on where you shop. What are the forms that are most available to homeowners when they're buying a tree? Okay, so most nurseries will have possibly three different types of stock available. Bare root trees often are smaller. They come without any soil on the roots, and those are generally planted in the dormant season, end of winter, early spring. But in the fall, like we're at right now, you're usually going to want to plant a bald and burlap or a container-grown tree. And each one of those has advantages and disadvantages. But a bald and burlap tree will have actual soil on the roots. It'll have a burlap wrapped around that with usually a wire basket or some twine. And the advantages of the bald and burlap trees are that soil, it's actual soil on the roots. It's going to have a better interface with the soil that you're digging out of your yard, the hole that you're going to put it in. So those roots will be more adapted to that soil and it'll make keeping that root ball moist and watered a little bit easier. The disadvantages of bald and burlap trees is are they're often much heavier because of the soil. It's got a lot more clay content in it and it's not just a peat base. So they're much heavier. They could require heavy equipment to move them. And when you dig a bald and burlap tree, some of the roots get cut off. So that's why we usually recommend bald and burlap trees for the fall. After trees go dormant is a good time to plant them. So container-grown trees, though, they're most often this is what's available for homeowners that makes it easier to plant because they're light enough that one or two people can easily transport them. But you've got to be careful a couple of things on container-grown trees. You want to avoid any circling roots in the container. If possible, you want to lift that tree out of the container and look at the roots to make sure that they're healthy. You want them to be kind of lighter colored. If they're darker or soft and mushy, they might be rotten. That's a bad sign that the tree might have a fungal disease or that it's been overwatered. So you want to be able to take a look at those roots whenever possible. And with either any form of tree, you want to look and see where the root flare is as the trunk transitions into the roots. You want to try to locate that. That should be right at the top of the root ball, whether it's bald and burlap or container grown. If you can't find that, if the tree goes straight down into the soil like a post, that's a sign that it's planted too deep in that root ball or too deep in the pot. And there's potential future problems there. I was going to say, I'm glad you talked about some of those because we probably, I know that we have seen in the past some problems that show up with some of those trees if they're planted too deeply in the containers. Are there other things that we need to avoid when we're actually selecting out that nursery stock? Yeah, yeah. Um, this is a great time of the year to shop for trees right now because they've still got leaves on the trees in the nursery. If you go shopping for a nursery tree where you can actually go and touch the tree and peck it out up close in person at best, that way you can see how well that tree has been cared for. You don't want to buy anything that looks stressed out already and take that home and plant it in your landscape. You're taking a big risk. So you want to go to a reputable nursery one that you can be fairly sure has taken good care of that plant and it's a horticultural need. You don't want something that's been overwatered where it's got soft, mushy roots. You don't want something that's been let to dry out in the pot where some of the roots may have died because all those things are negatives against the potential survival of that tree. You want to start with the best planting stock that you can and do the best job that you can of planting it because trees really are an investment. We hope to be there, hope the trees will be there long after us. And so it's best to just take a little bit of time, make a little extra effort and make sure you've got the best planting stock that you can start with. It is an investment. We want it to last for years. So take the extra time and care there to really inspect whatever you're buying. And I know sometimes if you're having that service delivered, it's really good to check it out before it actually physically goes in the ground for some of those 
things to kind of avoid if you're selecting because it really does make a difference. Now, I'm switching gears just a little bit, Jared, but we talked about selection and things to consider before we ever plant the tree in the ground. But I know that there's other things that we need to think about as far as tree installation goes, maybe some pre-planting care to make sure that we protect trees from other injuries and things that may occur throughout the seasons. What type of things should we consider as far as that tree installation, as far as pre-planting care? Sure, great question. Of course, you want to make sure you have the right tree for the right site. Make sure you've done that first and foremost. But then if you can't get the tree planted in the ground right away, make sure you keep it well watered, put it in a spot where it's not going to tip over and where you can care for that a little bit if you don't have the time to get it planted right away. But when you go to dig that hole and plant your tree, after you've called 811 and had the utilities marked, you got the right tree for the right place, we have a saying that you want to dig a $100 hole for a $10 tree. We said trees are an investment. Make sure you make the investment of digging a very wide planting hole for that tree. Make sure that you've got plenty of loose soil around that tree for its roots to go out into. You know, if you've got really, really compacted soil, that can be as hard as concrete and tree roots aren't going to grow into that very easily. You want to give the tree the best chance it can and really loosen up that soil two to three times at a minimum, the diameter of the root ball. You want to loosen up the soil around it. But you don't want to go any deeper than the root ball, though, before you put that tree in the ground. You want it to stay at the same height in the pot toward the root ball so you can see that root flare right at the soil level. And sometimes it takes a couple of times to get the depth just right because sometimes it may look good but then when you put it into the planting hole it may be a little too deep so you may need to kind of alter that just a little bit so that way that you don't get that too deeply planted. I've always found that it's a good good idea to take a couple of shovels and measure the planting hole before mm-hmm. you try to put the tree in it because it's especially with a heavier bald and burlap tree it can be really hard to get the tree back out of the hole to bring it up to the height so Better to dig a little shallow, use a couple of shovels or a tape measure to measure the depth of the hole before you put the tree in. That way you're not moving the tree around too much. You can get it at the proper depth before you actually roll that tree down into that planting hole. That's a good tip, especially for making sure that you get that depth planted just right. I'm glad you shared that. Could you kind of walk us through on this next question? Could you walk us through the proper procedure for planting a tree? I know you mentioned earlier bare roots may be done. It's a little bit smaller, but it may be done at a different season as container grown or bald and burlapped. But if somebody were starting with a container grown tree, is there a certain way that you would go about planting that tree versus a bald and burlap? Sure, sure. With bald and burlap and container grown, it's it's fairly similar. There's a few details that are a little different, but you want to make sure you've got it in the right location. I like to remove the turf. If you're planting where there was grass, remove that grass as much as you can because you want to mulch around the tree when you're done. You don't want grass growing through your mulch. So I always like to remove that turf and use my shovel and loosen up all that soil. Mark out approximately two to three times the diameter of the root ball and loosen up all that soil. And right in the center, you want to dig a slope down to it as deep as the root ball of your tree is. And once you've got it at the correct depth, you've measured it, you take your tree out of the container and roll that down into the hole with a container-grown tree, often you want to loosen up the roots around the tree. Just take your fingers and loosen some of that soil up out of the roots so that the natural soil can get back into that root ball. You want to get good contact with the roots and the tree. With a bald and burlap tree, I like to get the tree right up next to the hole and clip off that wire basket 
all that wire basket and ropes and planting material off of that tree as much as I possibly can. Now, if you're bald and burlap tree, if it's a little bit loose and it feels like it's going to fall apart, you can set that down into the planting hole and then cut all that material off. But keep in mind that all that wire basket, the burlap, all the strings and ties, that's all packing material. It's not meant to stay on the tree. That's just to help it stay intact while it's getting transported to you. If you're making a box of brownies, you don't include the plastic wrapping in the brownies. It's kind of the same thing. It's all packaging material. You want to remove that before you fill that soil back into the hole around the root ball of that tree. I like that analogy there. You don't want to include the packaging with your brownies. So that's a good analogy. (laughs) Wouldn't wouldn't be very, very good in the long run. Oh, no, 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 no. That was one of the things I was just about to say. I've seen some people not remove some of that and they've had problems later on. So I appreciate you mentioning that for sure. Okay. So you talked about container grown. You talked about the bald and burlap trees. As far as backfilling, do you add nutrients into that planting hole or do you just use the same soil that you've used that came out of your planting hole? I like to use the same soil that came out of the planting hole. Mm-hmm. Um, unless you've got really, really terrible soil and you know if you're planting a small tree in a landscape bed and you need to amend that soil, you can do a small area around the tree. But really what you run into, if you put too much amendment into that soil, you get a really nice band of soil for just a couple of feet around the tree and the roots want to stay in there and they won't grow out into the native soil. But especially for larger trees, you need those roots to get out into the native soil so they can put down structural roots and hold that tree upright. And they've got to get out into there and take advantage of that full soil volume. So if you've got really, really terrible soil, you might put a little bit of amendment in there. If it's really gravelly or something, put a little bit of something to hold some more moisture. But generally, I like to stick with the natural soil, the native soil that's around the tree. I kind of force it to get its roots out into there and grow out into the native soil and take advantage of that. Most of our soils have a fairly good amount of nutrients in them, but unless you've done a soil test and found out that you're deficient in one type of nutrient or another, we usually don't put any fertilizer in a planting hole. Some people like to put what they call starter fertilizer in there, which is a very low nitrogen. It's got a little bit more phosphorus and potassium to help with root growth. There are some things like water crystals that you can put in there that help the tree get established. And those aren't bad. Uh, I do some of that where we've got difficult sites. So some of those uh, starter type fertilizers or something with a mycorrhizal inoculant in that might help out, help that tree get established to get its roots out into the native soil a little bit. But If you do put anything, make sure it's very low on the nitrogen. You don't want to stimulate a lot of leaf growth until that root growth has caught up to it. I appreciate you mentioning some of those other things because we do receive a lot of questions through the extension office here about fertilizers. So a lot of the things that you said line up with what we're teaching as well. I know that one of the things that we try to talk about too, especially when you're backfilling with that original soil that came out of that planting hole about settling that soil to help remove any air pockets. Do you have a certain way of doing that or do you just kind of tap the soil every so often? The best way, and I'll admit I don't always do it the best way every single time, but I try. Um, The best way is to fill it in a little bit, just a few inches, maybe a third the height of the root ball and use a shovel and break up any clods. Make sure you don't have any air pockets. And if you've got a water source available nearby, go ahead and water it in in sections. So fill it in a third, chop it up a little bit, water it in fill in the next third, then fill in the top third. 
what you don't want to do is you don't want to stomp it down and compact it. You went to all that effort to loosen up that soil and make it a little bit fluffier for the tree. You don't want to negate all of the hard work that you did by stomping it down and compacting it. You do want it to be firm, but you don't want it to be compacted. Yes, yes. Now, I want to ask you this question while we're on this particular topic, especially when we're talking about, I know in this area, we've had a lot of newer homes kind of go up and maybe apartment complexes and things like that. Do we need to do anything special if like a lot of that topsoil has been removed? One of the best things that we can do is applying mulch, a natural tree mulch, bark or whole tree mulch, that sort of thing. That will slowly rebuild that soil over time. Rebuilding topsoil is something that you can't really accomplish just by mixing in or incorporating something. It's something that's got to be built over time. It takes a long, long, long time, generations to build proper topsoil. So the best thing you can do is every year, just put a couple inches of mulch down, natural mulch. You don't really want to use rocks or rubber tire mulch or any of that sort of thing. Choose something that will degrade over time and it'll slowly add nutrients back into the soil. I don't know. I guess you could add worm castings or some of that sort of stuff to kind of restore the natural biological activity in the soil. That would be one of the best ways. But compost and some good mulch is the best way to do that. Yes. And is there a specific kind of mulch that's better over another? I like to use whole tree mulch. We take our arborist chippings from when we prune trees, and that kind of mimics what happens in nature. It's got the buds, the twigs, the bark, the whole tree wood and everything. That's a balance of the carbon and nitrogen. And uh, biological organisms that break that down, they like to have that good balance. Now, if you choose something that's made from old pallets or something, that's got a lot of carbon in it, a lot of, not a lot of nitrogen. Uh, it's like if you ever do composting, you want that balance of carbon and nitrogen to break that stuff down, that organic material. It's ideal if your mulch has some of that same balance as well. Uh, if you use something that's just all straight hardwood bark mulch, it might last a little longer, but the longer it lasts, that's less nutrients is getting back into your soil and feeding the biological organisms that help create good topsoil. Now, as far as when you're placing that mulch around the tree, now, I know there's a right and a wrong way to do this. So talk to us about, I know you kind of mentioned there a little bit about the depth, but where should the mulch actually go around the tree? Great question. I've been waiting for this one. It's one of those things that I always love to talk to people about because people see it done the wrong way all over town. Uh, a lot of commercial landscapes, unfortunately, they have uh, somebody come out and mulch on a contract and they've come out and they put down a whole bunch of mulch so that their customers can see that they've really done something. But we don't want to do that. We don't want any mulch touching the trunk of the tree. If you need inspiration, go out and look in nature and see how deep the mulch is in nature. It's just a couple inches, two or three inches deep. And I always like to say it's like a bagel or a donut cut in half. So it's really thin. You've got a hole in the center right around the tree, just six or eight inches where there's nothing touching the trunk of the tree. And it should go out a couple of feet all the way around the tree. So you keep the mowers and string trimmers away from the tree. It does a couple more things as well as uh, protecting the tree from mowers. It helps cool the soil in the summer. It kind of shades it so that biological activity can happen in the soil. It helps reduce evaporation of water. So when you're watering your newly planted tree, it helps keep that water where it belongs down in the soil. So it does a lot of good things. Nature kind of knows what it's doing. We just want to recreate what nature's doing. Exactly. That's a good way, a good picture in your mind. And maybe you can kind of check out some of those natural trees and see how that they've got the mulch right around the base of it. Now, one of the things that you mentioned there too was about watering. 
how often really should we be watering, especially for a newly installed tree for our home landscape? It all depends on natural rainfall, but we don't want to rely too much on that because sometimes it's hard to gauge the rainfall unless you have a rain gauge in your yard because what happens, what the weather service reports could be different from what happens at your home. And what seems like a lot of rain, if it happens all day, could be only a tenth of an inch. So if you've got a rain gauge and you monitor the natural rain, you want about an inch per week. But unless you're closely monitoring that, you want to give it a couple times a week while the tree has leaves on it. Uh, give it about two five-gallon buckets worth. Or if you put a hose on it on a slow trickle, give it 20 minutes or so on a slow trickle. Do that Sunday night and Wednesday night, for example, at least a couple of times a week. And you want to do a nice slow trickle with the hose or drill a couple of holes in the bottom of a couple of five-gallon buckets and fill them. You want that water to percolate slowly down into the soil and fully wet that root ball all the way to the bottom. If you water too fast, the water can run off, and if it goes out into the grass, the grass will drink it up really quickly. Or if it's hot, you don't want it to evaporate too quickly. You want to water very slowly so it soaks all the way down to the bottom of that root ball. I was going to say, I like that five-gallon bucket, and a lot of people use that, or that's what we kind of recommend. If somebody calls about watering, just poke some holes in the bottom of the five-gallon bucket. What about some of these drip bags that are available? I know I've seen tubes and gator bags. Would that be a possibility at all? Absolutely. Those are uh, commercial products that are readily available out there. Usually, the bags that we use out in the city They hold about 15 gallons or so, and that's great. For us out in the city, we have to drive water trucks around, and we don't get out as often as we would like to. There's a lot of pre-maintenance to happen all year long. But if you can get one of those, they're great. They're a little more expensive than a plastic bucket. Most people have a five-gallon bucket or two around the house that you can use. But if you want to use one of those Gator bags or one of the Ooze tubes or any of the other brands out there, they all work great. They work on the same principle. They have small holes in the bottom where the water slowly drips out and it percolates down into the soil. So those are all great options. All right, Jared, here's the last question. And we get a lot of people that ask this question a lot too. Should you stake a newly planted tree or not? Great question. Only if it needs it. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) by that, I mean only if the tree cannot stand up on its own. Sometimes you get a tree that's a little top heavy or if it had a bamboo pole on it tied to it in the nursery, sometimes the trees are a little bit weak when you take that off. But in general, the thing that you want to do is stop the roots from moving. So if you've got a tree that's a little heavier on the top, like an evergreen on a windy site, or if you've got a container-grown tree that's a little bigger on the top and it wants to pull over, the best thing you can do is stabilize the root ball. Put a couple of bamboo stakes through the root ball down into the soil to keep the roots from moving. But we like to have the trunk of the tree sway in the wind a little bit. It's like if you had your arm in a cast your arm becomes a little bit weak and it becomes dependent on that cast. When you take the cast off, you feel very weak. If you have a tree with a stake on it for its whole life, that tree is going to be kind of weak when you take that stake off. So if you've got a tree like that, it's best to remove the initial stake, put a couple of stakes a little farther away and tie it just so the tree can move just a little bit so it can sway in the wind and build up some of those wood fibers, the lignin and whatnot, so that tree can become strong enough to support its own weight. But if a tree can support its own weight, if the trunk is strong enough and it's not on a really windy site, most of the time I don't stake trees. 
The only times that we do stake trees, if they're in an area that's prone to vandalism or high winds, that's just about the only time we stake trees. Gotcha. Gotcha. Those are all good points there, especially when you think about staking or not staking. Now, I know we've covered a lot today just on tree selection and planting of trees, kind of the right way to go about it and some tips for people to kind of think about when they are planting those trees in the landscape. But if people would like to go to a place to receive additional information, where do you recommend that they go? Is there a certain website or a publication that you would recommend? Sure, sure. Like anything else in this world, there's all kinds of information on the internet and there's good and bad out there. One website in particular I would recommend is the Bowling Green Tree Board. Of course, uh, I had a hand in uh, making sure what good information gets on there. And we link to a lot of other outside websites as well because there's a lot of other experts out there that know what they're doing too. That website is www.bgky.org slash tree. And you can find all kinds of information on there about how to plant your tree, how to care for it, how to prune it, how to mulch it, all kinds of great information and links to outside sources as well. Awesome. And I know we can't close the show without mentioning that this is Tree Week. And I know the whole state of Kentucky is doing different activities to celebrate trees and also the green spaces around them. Is there anything that you want to share about specifically activities for Tree Week that's going on here in Bowling Green? Yeah, thanks for asking. The Bowling Green Tree Board website has a page on there as well with activities that are happening during Tree Week. Right now, we've got, this is only our second year, so we're still growing, but we've got a list of some activities that are happening. For example, a planting class with you at the extension office. We've got places to go and see trees, such as the Baker Arboretum, the city, county, state, and uh, local parks around us. All kinds of places to go and walk. You can kayak down Jennings Creek and see the beautiful canopy of trees overhanging the creek there. So we encourage everyone to get out and celebrate trees this tree week, and hopefully we'll see you out there. Yeah, yeah. So make sure you take time to spend a little time with the trees. We also here at the Extension Office have a a great way that you can identify trees if you're taking a tree walk during tree week or a little bit later. I know fall is a good time to get out and appreciate the trees and what all they have to offer. Jared, thank you for visiting us on the Sunshine Gardening Podcast, and we will definitely have to have you on again sometime soon. Fantastic. Thank you so much. I hope that you enjoyed our discussion today about tree selection and planning for the Kentucky landscape with guest Jared Weaver. To see the show notes today from this episode, make sure to visit me on the blog at Warren County Agriculture. You can find us at www.warrencountyagriculture.com. And in the show notes, I have posted the link to the Bowling Green Tree Board website that Jared mentioned during the show. If you want to head on over and check out what other activities that you can do to help celebrate Tree Week. And if you're interested, the Warren County Extension Office is hosting a tree selection and tree planting seminar coming up on Tuesday, October the 10th from 10 a.m. until 12 o'clock noon. We're actually doing a live demonstration on how 
how to properly plant a tree in the landscape. So if you want to register for this class, make sure to contact the Warren County Extension Office at 270-842-1681. We'll be glad to give you some more information about this upcoming class that we're doing in conjunction to help celebrate Tree Week. Thanks for listening to the Sunshine Gardening Podcast. As always, gardeners, keep digging into gardening and remember to add a little sunshine. Thanks for listening to the Sunshine Gardening Podcast with Kristen Hildebrand. If you enjoyed today's content, make sure to hit the subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts to catch future segments of the Sunshine Gardening Podcast. Gardeners, keep on digging and learning more about gardening so the sun shines brighter over your Kentucky garden. The Sunshine Gardening Podcasts with Kristen Hildebrand is a production of the University of Kentucky Cooperative Extension Service.